realizing, you know, we've had such a terrible loss of life. Maybe the smallest thing to do is, is pull it. Uh, they made that decision to pull it. Uh, we watched the building collapse. They ignored it because they wanted it to happen. totalitarian war, intelligence must be global and totalitarian. William J. Donovan, founder of the OSS. Hello, and welcome back to Historica Esoterica. I am your host, Matt K. Ultra, joined once again by... Uh, it's me, Roswell. Hey, Roswell. Hello. Uh, so let's just, uh, let's just jump into letting everybody know what we're doing. Um, so today's episode is a bit of a change of pace from the last one. Uh, you know, we had our spooky fun with grimoires. We looked into these, these books of spirits and really just spent, I think, an hour going, magic is real and you shouldn't do it, which, yes. to be clear, is still our stance. I, uh, <laughs> and now we're looking into something much less scary. Yeah, <laughs> which is to say uh, the OSS. Um Something which is also real and, frankly, shouldn't be done. Um, <laughs> global intelligence. So, yeah, yeah we're going we're gonna to try to do this. Just sort of jump back and forth between topics, you know. Something a little spooky sometimes. Something a little terrifying sometimes. A little, <laughs> different vibes, but yeah, that's okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess I'll just uh, I'll jump into it. I actually have sure. notes this time, uh, dear listener, which I think is a welcome improvement from last episode. Uh, okay, so I just want to start off. I'm just going to give a broad history before I dive into some notable people and operations. Roswell, I know that you've got your own notes as well. Mm -hmm. So, of course, feel free to uh, jump in, ask questions, make comments, uh, yes, fact sir. check me if uh, CIA.gov gave you any different information <laughs> than my, uh, I, I will. my independent research. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we should make brief mention of that my primary source was from uh, oss america's first intelligence agency by michael warner cia history staff and i imagine your research was not that my research was not that uh, i use i honestly for a lot of this i just used the wikipedia as a springboard uh you know it's a great source okay. uh, if you ignore the fact that there there are points in uh, especially the article on donovan or it was very clearly <laughs> written by a, a donovan stan yeah um you know you use that as a springboard sort of google like if you see a weird name come up and then you click on the you click on the wikipedia yeah. link and they don't have a picture you're like well let's uh let's do some research <laughs> let's here see who this is. let's see what's yeah. going on over here but uh i did that i pulled a lot of sources from uh the oss society uh which just like cia.gov i mean Roswell can attest. I was I was going a little crazy, so I sort of <laughs> I trimmed back those sources a bit. I also uh, I pulled some quotes from Legacy of Ashes, a history of the CIA. Which, oh, great name. I do not remember the author off the top of my head. That is and, a sick title. Yeah, there's also there was a Washington Post. I gotta start like saving my sources so I can remember where I get <laughs> these things from. 
Yeah, um, need a bibliography. <laughs> yeah, but it was like a Washington Post article from the 80s uh, that I used for my sources on one guy okay. in particular. Uh, those are my general sources. Um, cool. But yeah, if I wrote something down here, I read it somewhere. I promise. <laughs> uh, just don't ask me where. <laughs> uh, okay, so before we jump into the OSS, I do want to talk yeah. about the fact that before the founding of the OSS, there were several groups within the government that had done limited work collecting intelligence. Right. Uh, I don't know if you looked into this at all, but they'd never been official like officially sanctioned and more importantly they'd never been centralized under one person right uh, these intelligence agencies weren't central uh mm. so to speak um hmm, the ias were not c yet but uh, <laughs> um so the my favorite of these was the black chamber uh which aside oh. from its terrifying name that is horrible uh, is, is uh it has the funniest reason for being broken up so it was founded after world war one and it was broken up by Secretary of State Henry Stimson because, and this is a direct quote, gentlemen don't read each other's mail, uh, which <laughs> <laughs> which is true. It's gentlemen true, yeah. do not read each other's mail. Um, yeah, baller moves to do that. But is this the same thing as the Cipher Bureau? Yes. Uh, so they, they like have like a couple different iterations, a couple different names. But my favorite was, of course, the Black Chamber. The Black Chamber. Oof. It's it's so evocative. I mean, yeah, I understand why they don't officially call it that because that would be very yeah. much a I think are we the baddies moment. It's like you know <laughs> you're you're wearing your skull robes entering the black chamber. I'm like, wait a minute, I might <laughs> well, be on the wrong side here. No, no, no. Um, but all this is to say that uh, the OSS officially, and I found two different dates on this. So you're gonna have to tell me which one the CIA told you. Because hmm. the one that I saw come up more was July 11th, 1941. Um, uh, y- yes and no. Uh, the, the OSS didn't actually come about until 1942. I think yeah, I was going to say, C- they didn't like rename it. It was the COI first, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is the Coordinator of Information, which was more so a single person position. Yeah. And then you were just part of his office, yes. so to speak. Uh, of... 600 people yeah (laughs) um but yeah so that's that's when that's when william j donovan really uh that's when he started getting to throw his weight around so the the oss society called that its founding date um and then there were of course the other ones that like talk about when it was officially instituted as the office of strategic services so but before we get in that i do want to say right in line with what you're talking about with the black chamber so like obviously there was no centralized there was no centralized bodies doing intelligence. Um, I thought this was interesting. Again, this is from the CIA, but they said pre-World War II, um, intelligence was primarily collected by attaches and diplomats mm-hmm. uh, and handled by the Office of Naval Intelligence and G2. Yeah. Um, information was shared across department lines all the way up to the president, which that kind of rang a little <laughs> bell in my head you yeah. know, compared to today's. But... I thought that was interesting that they made no mention of any of the other informal organizations, mm-hmm. which makes sense. But yeah, and so it's also worth noting, um, you know, diplomats, ambassadors, businessmen, all those people used to spy for the government, but they don't right. anymore. No, uh, of course we're, not. We're going to be saying that a lot throughout this episode. Is <laughs> if you hear the OSS doing something and you think, "Hmm, I wonder if the CIA kept doing that." Nope, they didn't. No. Uh, I promise. They, they stopped. Yeah. They're not doing any of it. <laughs> 
Um, and if they did, we support it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you think they'd tell us? Um, of course, yeah. No. Yeah, they're famously open about these sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it had limited activities in like Japan in that front, uh, like the Pacific front. But well, primarily, yeah. it was used in Europe. Uh, yeah, in and it should be said, yeah, it's this is the height of World War II is when um, the COI is getting established. Yeah. Um, and... So I think that's that context is important. Uh, can I read you a quote about what the COI was uh, from the uh, CIA Absolutely, himself? yeah, please. Okay, this is from my main source, again, from Michael Warner, CIA history staff. <laughs> um, so it's, quote, The COI constituted the nation's first peacetime non-departmental intelligence organization. Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the then president, authorized the COI to collect and analyze all info and data which may bear upon national security and to make such information available to the president and to such departments and officials as the president may determine. End mm. quote. Interesting, Interesting, right? Yeah. yeah. I think that those mays are doing a lot of legwork. Yeah, there's um, little little eyebrow raises there. Yeah. Uh, Nothing concrete, but it does make you kind of go, hmm? hmm. Uh, and another thing, just right in line with this when uh, talking about like the mindset that went into the founding of the uh, OSS. Um, Major General John Singlaub, who anyone who's familiar with the Iran-Contra scandal might recognize that name. <laughs> you might know um, this guy. You're going to see a lot of characters. You know, friendly <laughs> a lot of repeating. This is, it's sort of like, imagine if like in Infinity War was like a yeah. prequel movie that yes. established all the characters in the MCU. It's like that yeah. for this podcast. A lot of Maybe yes. not friendly, but familiar faces who we'll be seeing again <laughs> pop up in these, <laughs> these stories. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, you know, portals as, playing. As Dulles uh, just like trips his way through a portal. <laughs> Kramering into the, yeah. <laughs> um, but so Singlaub, uh, I think he put it best. This is from a video interview I saw with him. He said that um, the that FDR... Uh, needed a organization to uh handle things that could be done quote without the full consent of congress end quote <laughs> which before we go full you know <laughs> like Ugh, on that before my, my you cut me loose uh <laughs> my i think it's you know it should be said america famous bureaucracy right uh, one of the most famous ones, arguably. One of the most famous ones, yeah. But like, if you look at like what FDR had to do during World War II, like he was getting caught up on a lot of red tape to try and get stuff accomplished. So to get anything done quickly, which you'd need to do in wartime, you kind of had to, or he kind of had to step over some of the congressional boundaries, and he did. Yeah, um, which <laughs> many you know, times. Which you can say good or bad. I mean, it was effective in a war, but yeah. um, maybe not the best precedent to set for a agency that you're starting. Yeah. And so there's a couple things that I sort of like themes in keeping with what you were just saying. There's a couple themes I sort of want to hit on as we go mm -hmm. through this episode and this little story that I've set up, this little narrative I've strung together <laughs> uh, as a little spider. Uh, and one of them is sort of that, right? Like this, this all started at least most of it started as a um, as a effort to stop the Nazis, right? So right. I'm I'm going to come out and say it. I'm going to be a lot more lenient with you 
if you're doing <laughs> bad things, if those bad things are to the Waffen SS, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. um, that's yeah. If you're, it's kind of like if you watched Indiana Jones like punch a guy in a supermarket, you'd be like, <laughs> but if you watch him punch a literal Nazi, you're like, nice. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. And I, and I think that's how to think about it. Yeah, and so my problems with these things, because some of these things I'm going to talk about are things they designed explicitly to use on Nazis. And right. if I'm like, you know, if I'm sort of like voicing qualms, I want to be clear. My qualms are not with them being used against the Third sure. Reich. It's the fact that they didn't stop being used there. Yeah, it's that these exactly. things then were brought home and used yeah. on, you know, like civil rights activists, which I, yeah. you know, if, if Indiana Jones is like chasing <laughs> down like people doing sit-in protests yeah i'm gonna yeah. be a little i'm gonna I raise it, my eyebrows at him what's he up to uh, i thought harrison ford's uh cameo in judas and the black messiah was a bit strange, <laughs> was a bit strange. Yeah, um, just like han solo he asked that they kill him at the end but um but yeah so, so is there anything else you understand the coi because i have some more information before it fully transitions into the oss yeah sure go ahead i honestly i sort of blurred a lot of it together because that's what okay. several of my sources did that where they're sort of like hey it's basically the same thing so i blended them together just in the interest okay. of making it easier on myself but please go ahead yeah yeah okay so i just wanted to I, like um what the according to again singlab major general john singlab uh, he said this one of the main goals of the CIA was to help the American media distinguish between, uh, quote, propaganda coming from the enemy sources and real news, end quote, hmm. um, which would go on to be taken over by the Office of War. Um, <laughs> oh, good, good. <laughs> yeah. Its other goals included clandestine intelligence, espionage, counterespionage. Um, so, again, you're kind of seeing how this might evolve eventually into the CIA. But something yeah. that's very interesting is... Um, the CO as as the COI Donovan had the authority to use unvouchered expenditures from the president's emergency fund. Oh, <laughs> uh, what are unvouchered expenditures? Well, for, according to whitehouse.archives.gov, <laughs> unvouchered expenditures are any expenditure accounted for solely on the approval, authorization or certificate of the president or an official of the executive branch which is to say magic money that only the president yeah. can use. And I'm sure none of it disappeared. Absolutely. didn't go where it was supposed to. And again, according to the CIA website, these funds, along with the espionage authority granted to the COI by the military, quote, planted the seed of the modern CIA's director of operations, end quote. Oh, good. <laughs> In my notes, I wrote I emoji. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and to yeah. gloss over the budget real quick, just to wrap this point up before we can move on, I yeah, just want to note that the COI, before it transitioned to the OSS, this would change, but the initial budget in 1942 was a $10 million budget, uh, which if we adjust for inflation in 2022... I was about to ask. ...is $184 million, which Lord. is not a lot if we compare it to... The, what the U.S. Uh, United States uh, intelligence programs today are, which is uh, $62.3 billion from the National Intelligence Program and $23.3 billion from the Military Intelligence Program for a grand total of $85.6 billion in 2022. That is the CIA budget. Well, I can't think of <laughs> any other places that money could be going, uh, personally. Yes. yes. Um, yeah. Oh, wow. And I just, okay, I found the exact uh, 
date this according again according to the CIA. They transitioned from COI to OSS on June 13th, 1942. Yeah, that was the other date that I found. Yeah. Um, so that was the transition. So, you know, they they were essentially the same thing, but the name change and uh, where it changed from a, you know, kind of a seat of power with 600 employees to a department with, at its peak, 13,000 employees. Yeah, uh, I actually read 24,000 uh, Interesting. around the world. Yeah. Um, Hmm. I believe that one was from the Washington Post article, but now I can't remember, and I'm regretting yeah. not including my sources. Um, this is again from the CIA, but I'm 13,000 Americans, so I oh, don't okay. know. Oh, yeah. no. okay, yeah, no. I don't know was, if that's, yeah. Yeah, the, the, so at the height of its power, it was 24,000 people around the world, which okay. is like including like, you know, resistance operatives and right. people. So, uh, wow, you know. almost 11,000 uh, foreigners that they yeah. got involved Pretty interesting. Again, you know, I'm sure all those people just stopped working for them the moment the OSS was <laughs> dissolved. Uh, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Why wouldn't they? Yeah. You know, <laughs> you just forget about your connections like that. Yeah. Um, you go back to yeah. being a plumber. Yeah. So it was it was dissolved uh, just over a month after the end of the war. Uh, Truman did not want this thing to stick around. Uh, Which for whatever reason. I can't imagine why a sitting president would be nervous about the existence of a centralized intelligence agency. Uh, they've always gotten along so well, yeah. but <laughs> well, and I think that was good foresight considering, um, I, there's a great, uh, another, I mean, maybe we can come back to this when we go over the end of the OSS in depth. Yeah, or for sure. I can go over it now. It's up to you. I'll uh, go ahead. Yeah. Might as well while we're doing okay. this is, cause this is our broad strokes, right? Sure. So um, I'll again, quote the CIA document, uh, which cited the end of the OSS as quote, an end and a beginning end quote, which, uh, I don't think was meant to be ominous, but is yeah. Very like, yeah. Ominous. The, the Ouroboros began there. It's like, uh, yeah. well, so here's a quote from the CIA on the end of the OSS. Uh, it says quote, general Donovan was a charismatic leader and empire builder who inspired his people but he was also a mediocre administrator enamored <laughs> of operations but bored by procedural detail tales of oss inefficiency and waste some of them true <laughs> <laughs> delighted donovan's critics he had tirelessly battled bureaucratic rivals in washington and london but as the war drew to an end his enemies began to fear that he might actually win his campaign to create a peacetime intelligence service modeled on the oss President Roosevelt made no promises. However, after his death in April of 1945, the incoming president, Harry S. Truman, felt no obligation to save the OSS. <laughs> Victory in Europe in May 1945 allowed the OSS to concentrate on Japan, but it also meant months of bureaucratic limbo for Washington headquarters. President Truman disliked Donovan. Truman mocked him in his diary, perhaps fearing that Donovan's proposed L uh, intelligent establishment might one day be used against Americans, end quote. And I just want and you to I just that, say <laughs> it never thank was. Thank God it never was. Yeah. I'm, yeah. He succeeded. And that's that's where the end of the episode ends, actually. We don't need to talk about it anymore. Um, <laughs> 18 minutes. That's all it took. But I mean, that last line is particularly egregious considering it came from the CIA website. Yeah. Which, like, it's very like a Mr. Police, I gave you all the clues. Like, I cannot believe that they included that in their signed website. from hell <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah um, so uh, yeah that feeds right into your point like i think and you know you say what you will about truman sure probably that was a bit self-motivated on his part but also i mean he was right 
<laughs> yeah. Probably not a great idea to establish this powerful and clandestine of a, you know, I'm glad bureaucratic that you... entity. Yeah, I'm glad that you noted early on that Donovan and Truman didn't get along well. Because yeah. when we when I talk about Donovan, I have a couple little stories there that I think interesting. Because I have a I have a couple you know, I've I've crafted several arcs for us throughout this uh, <laughs> this little thing that I've made. I love and that. Donovan in particular has a sort of smaller one. The only one that I would consider a morality play out of my little uh, <laughs> my little little stories here for us. Huh. Um, but so now that we've sort of you covered the broad strokes, right? We talked about yeah. the budget. We talked about that. I want to yeah. zero in on a couple people. Okay. Uh, notably, uh, a group that I like to call the Three Williams, and uh, <laughs> one special surprise guest at the end who we'll talk Ooh. about for a little bit. Okay. Uh, so the first William I want to talk about is one William Stevenson. Did he come up in your research at all? I saw the name, but I couldn't tell you who he is. So he is actually a name that I knew already, oh, because no. William Stevenson is said to be the man that Ian Fleming based James Bond off of. Uh, he is sort of like the first super spy. This guy had like every single medal that you can give someone. He did it. He was in all sorts of like battles, all sorts of operations. But where I really want to start talking about him, he was a prisoner of war in World War One. He became a self-made millionaire uh, because he developed like a can opener patent that he sold to Germany. Uh, and then like he tweaked it and sold it to the rest of Europe as well. Uh, and okay. you know, it's, so this was before he was 30. So he's one of the first 30 under 30 out there. You know, just, <laughs> media uh, luminary. Yeah. Media yeah. luminary. Really? Uh, well, now, funny is this, say uh, oh, uh, well, I was just gonna say, we'll get into his, uh, his, you know, maybe, uh, maybe his troll campaigns that he launched to influence things <laughs> say, um, that we'll, we'll get into those later. But what were you saying? I was going to say, as you might imagine on Wikipedia, there's a lot of William Stevensons. Uh, yes. Uh, especially in government and politics. My favorite fact about that is that William Stevenson, uh, try, he's Sir William Stevenson, if that helps at all. Uh, he was the knighted. Governor uh, of Mauritius. No, that couldn't be. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, his, code name was, <laughs> his code name was Intrepid, if that helps you. Uh, but most interestingly, okay. speaking of how common William Stevenson is, uh, Sir yeah. William Stevenson, one of his like most official biographies, The Man Called Intrepid, uh, was written by an unrelated William Stevenson, uh, which like <laughs> that's got to be illegal. <laughs> I know it's you can't do that. Like the whole time you're like, wow, yeah, William Stevenson was so cool and handsome and everyone loved him. OK, uh, the end. Oh, but, so he's uh, Stevenson with a PH. Okay. Oh, yes. PH. Sorry, I forgot to clarify. No, that's fine. But yeah, Here's interesting. Well, OK, I was going to say like there, does the CIA like make up fake names all the time? Because his birth name is William Sam Samuel Clouston Stanger. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, it's the same mm. as a, uh, you know, maybe later on we'll touch we'll touch on the JFK assassination and the two ah. George Bush working at the CIA. For some reason, they really right. like having lots of people sharing names. But yeah. Uh, but anyway, hmm. uh, so he, as the Second World War started ramping up, uh, America. Despite what we like to pretend, we were not involved in this war for very long. Uh, we right. sort of we jumped on the tail end and admittedly yeah. they needed us to. But yes. for a long time, it was just sort of like Britain and France. And then it was right. Just sort of Britain. There were obviously other countries. I'm not trying to diminish any. Maybe of their, a little bit of Russia. Yeah, maybe a little bit of Russia towards the. 
But you know, on on the European front, like not right. the yeah, it was right. it was really like Britain was leading the charge and taking the biggest hits, like you know, from the V two rockets right. and all sorts of things like that. Right. Um, and America actually, for a long time, was in favor of effectively neutrality, uh, right. because you know we had just done World War One, which, to be clear, I think World War One was much less justifiable than World War Two, right? Where it was really just a yeah. bunch of cousins getting mad at each other and <laughs> killing millions of people as a result. And America didn't really want anything to do with Europe after that. World War One was a very unpopular war. Uh, yeah, uh, which is absolutely fair. Yeah. And William Stevenson was the man tasked by British intelligence to create a British network of intelligence throughout the Western Hemisphere. And specifically, uh, this thing, he's not only was he tasked with this, but he's frequently credited with succeeding at this, which is to say, changing American opinion from isolationism to a pro-war stance during World War II. Hmm. Uh, and... The methods that he used for doing so were crazily diverse. He had, I mean, A, he had millions of dollars at his disposal, not just his own, but also like government and from his various businesses, wow. all of which he was using. Um, and like one of the, one of my favorites that I found was uh, the Hearst Syndicate, uh, which you may know as being run by one William Randolph Hearst, who I believe was the inspiration for... Uh, um, goodness, I'm blanking on it now. A uh, Citizen Kane, if I recall correctly. Right, uh, that's right. But yeah, the Hearst Syndicate was uh, in favor of isolationism for a long time. And they made plans to just drive them out of business. They just shut down the entire conglomerate by basically cashing in a bunch of like debts that they were owed uh, all at huh. once and like forcing them into bankruptcy. And, uh, you know, judging by the fact that we know the name William Randolph Hearst, uh, they didn't go through with this, but that was like one of the things they were planning. Uh, they also, I found one quote that I want to read, which is like the more petty end of things that they were doing because <laughs> America also just had like Nazi supporters, like open supporters in there. Right. Um, well, there's a, and people don't know this, but there's a lot of German people. Yeah. In America. If you've Dang. ever been to uh, Cincinnati, which I lived yeah. in briefly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of German people, and a lot of them yeah. were feeling pretty pro-German during this war with Germany. <laughs> huh. Imagine that. Imagine um, that. But so a this is an interesting memo in which William Stevenson seems to have invented gang stalking, or at least his <laughs> office. I don't think he personally wrote this, but here's a, a good quote. Uh, a Nazi, quote, can be telephoned at all hours of the night, and when awakened, can be apologetically assured that it's the wrong number. The air can mysteriously disappear out of his motor car tires. Shops can be telephoned on his behalf and has to deliver large quantities of useless and cumbersome goods. <laughs> Payment on delivery. Masses of useless correspondence can reach him without stamps so that he is constantly having to pay out petty sums of money. His lady friend can receive an anonymous letter stating that he's suffering from a mysterious disease or that he is keeping a woman and six children in Detroit. He can be cabled apparently genuine instructions to make long, expensive journeys a rat might die in his water tank. Street musicians might play God Save the King outside his house all night. His favorite dog might get lost. With a little thought, <laughs> it should be possible to invent at least 500 ways of persecuting a victim without the persecutor compromising himself. Uh, which, um, 
so he got all of his ideas from Mad Magazine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's crazy, right? Like he That's he invented insane. gang stalking. They, essentially, um, yeah, he was the blueprint for male manipulators everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he's listening to Tame Impala as he's writing this out. Um, you know, it's just one guy, right? <laughs> Did you know that the COI was just one guy? I was just thinking <laughs> that. <laughs> but uh, so after a little while of uh of Stevenson and his buddies, you know, just palling around America doing yeah. what they're doing. Uh, Americans, particularly J Edgar Hoover, head of the FBI, uh, grew a little yes. bit frustrated and suspicious of their snooping and, you know, outright propaganda and started yeah. saying like, Hey, we should, we should remove them. Uh, and, you know, coincidentally, right around this point, William Stevenson suggests to FDR that his friend William J. Donovan, J. Donovan. head a centralized intelligence network in America. And right. he effectively handed over the reins to someone that the British could trust. They referred to him in their correspondences as our man. Um, oh, man. And so you know, that's really that, interesting. Oh, go yeah. Ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, does this any of this sound familiar? You know, these intelligence agencies setting up people who they think will be useful for them and then those people sort of go off and do their own thing you know it's all i could think right. of my notes just say you know the uh <laughs> that like 80s psa it's like where did you learn this stuff i learned it from you dad <laughs> like that's what i was thinking of as i was reading that. yeah it's like it's it's the blueprint this is what we do so many we've done this so many times and yeah that's how it started so can i contrast that with the cia's yes the CIA? please go right so ahead they i'm not going to quote it but I will say in their write-up of like Donovan, you know, consulting with FB, FDR, they really make it sound like it's Donovan's idea. And they really make it sound like, you know, he was just out in Britain and in France and he was like doing all these things with, you know, he was, mm -hmm. they talk about how closely he related he was with the British. But then it was like, he picked up a lot of ideas from them <laughs> and then came back and suggested to FDR, you know, that better intelligence was needed. And so that just strikes me as interesting where it's like, yeah, it was Donovan's idea. Whereas I feel like your, your side of it seems a lot more likely. Um, yeah. That, you know, Stevenson sort of, he was the one, he had the training wheels on the bike at least. You know, right. For exactly. And you know, I mean, not to say that like Donovan's a pawn of Stevenson or, but like, yeah. you know, all these people are bumping into each other and, and that's just very interesting. Another thing that was interesting, and this is just a little flip note, but Donovan, before COI, before, you know, his uh, run-ins with FDR, he served as the assistant attorney general during the Coolidge administration. Oh, yes, he and did. briefly su supervised a young, do you want to guess who? Oh, hang on. Wait, I think I saw this. Let me see if it's in my notes. You Shoot, just mentioned them. I'm not them. seeing it. Uh... No, go right ahead. I'm I'm blanking. Oh, was it J. Edgar Hoover? It was a young J. Edgar Hoover and his then new FBI. Very interesting. So, okay. I mean, if you're going to pick a guy to consult with FDR and to quell, you know, someone who's mad at you in that government, a guy who has a relationship with yeah. J. Edgar Hoover and like kind of a, I don't want to say fatherly, but, you know, like a as a superior yeah you know? he has that position of power already that sort yeah, of dynamic over... is there and to be clear yeah. no one had a good relationship with j edgar hoover right like <laughs> that man no. had files on literally like if you were an american and like breathed 
uh at j edgar yeah. hoover at one point in time was like writing it down and trying to like well, he keep was like it. batman he was like yeah. trying, you know he yeah in like many ways he was like number. he was like the batman um yeah. he was dressing up at night that's a little it's a little deep that's, cut for our listeners yeah. uh and we'll, <laughs> that was good. Move on from um, that. <laughs> yeah, so that brings us to the second of the three Williams, William J. Yes. Donovan, who, uh, yes. you know, to be clear, uh, he was like in his own right, he was doing his own things. It's not like Stevenson yeah. just sort of like set him up, right? So prior to his time in the USS, he spent time traveling the world, uh, working. The one that brought like my attention the most was uh, he worked for J.P. Morgan. Uh, and while he did so, he was gathering mm. information on international communism. Uh, so, mm. you know, cool to know that. So he worked for a big capitalist yeah. learning about communism. And I'm sure the things that he collected were completely unbiased uh, mm. and not from yeah. any one ideological perspective. Um, huh. He you also... would say that you Marxist freak. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, also, interestingly, I just like to note. um, a lot of the people we're going to be talking about here, they're, they're the waspiest wasps to ever wasp, right? These are, they're white, they're Anglo-Saxon, and oh boy, are they Protestant. Uh, my boy Wait, Donovan, though. does the P stand for Protestant? Yeah, yeah. I um, thought it stood for person. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was like white Anglo-Saxon person. <laughs> you know, we we've, we all learned something today. <laughs> I'm so stupid. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and so, but you know, Donovan, to his credit, uh, yeah. was an Irish Catholic, uh, which okay. doesn't come up at all later. Uh, but anyway, so he, like I said, he was working around. He's also very much in favor of prohibition, which I thought was interesting. Uh, interesting. When he was, yeah, when he was in, he angered the elites of Buffalo, New York, when he like had agents raid a club that they frequented and confiscate yeah. all their alcohol, um, which I guess would be around the same time he was like running for governor, Hoover, I believe. Yeah. And he was running for governor. As the uh, so yeah, candidate. yeah, he he was he ran as a Republican right after FDR became president. Um, hmm. But afterwards, he and FDR grew to have a respect for each other. They became friends. And that's why Donovan was sort of like floating around the cabinet uh, because they they did respect each other. Uh, I believe it was FDR who said later on in life that if Donovan had run as a Democrat, he could have won the presidency. Um, Interesting which I'm not going to go anywhere near implications of Democrats being intelligence assets running for presidencies, but uh, you know, we'll just uh, <laughs> leave that one out there. Uh, uh, huh. So I'm sorry. We promise not to do topical things. That's on me. But um, is that so topical? Uh, no, not anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah. Cause I was just thinking of the Clintons. Like, yeah, well, yeah, there's the Clintons. I was thinking like the, okay. half of the 2020 primaries, but you know, like that was, <laughs> Looking at, you, Pete, but, buddy Jet, yeah, yeah, looking at you, Pete, buddy, buddy, looking at you, Pete. What were you doing with that AR 15? But anyway, <laughs> holding uh, it wrong. <laughs> yeah, we, we can cut that if you want to. No, no, no. But, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> so interestingly, something I, I thought I was pleasantly surprised by uh, Donovan was opposed to Japanese internment. Uh, and he okay. correctly, I would like to note, he yeah. believed that it solved a problem that did not exist and needlessly harmed loyal American citizens, which. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, Bill. So you're right. Was Donovan based? I wouldn't go that far, but okay. in, at times, yeah, like you know, he at did. The, he did hate Nazis. Like, he was against Japanese internment. Um, yeah, unlike I you mean, know, woke Bay FDR. Uh, so, you know, yep, we we've got that at least. Uh, yeah, that's very interesting. 
And also to his credit, you know, a couple, I want to have a couple, you know, things to Donovan's credit. Uh, he wasn't a chicken hawk, right? Like he was, he was out there on the front lines during the war. No, he was a military um, man. And he wanted to, uh, after Pearl Harbor, he wanted to go back into the fray, but because of an old war wound, he wasn't able to. And that kind of led his way into bureaucracy. Into, yeah, the more spooky yeah. More side, yeah. But yeah, there was Turned one the dark side. I believe this was actually during like D-Day in Normandy. I don't remember exactly when this happened, but a story I found that I thought was a good description of Donovan's character mm. is uh he and another OSS officer were pinned down by machine gun fire in France. Uh and Donovan stated that they could not be captured because they knew too much. And so he reached for the two suicide pills he kept on him, but realized that they weren't on him and said I must shoot first. Uh, and so when his companion asked him what good their pistols were against the machine gun fire, Donovan replied, and this is a direct quote, Oh, you don't understand. I'm in if we are about to be captured. I'll shoot you first. After all, I am your commanding officer. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> which, that's the sort of guy Donovan was, right? This yeah. was He was a true blue warrior and he believed yeah. in what he was doing um but i read yeah. that quote and i was like oh i've i've got to do this one you know Which, on the episode that's like if you're gonna have a guy in charge of harming your enemy as much as possible <laughs> i mean you want I, someone like that yeah it's understandable why you would want him in the uh coi later oss position yeah because, I mean, yeah, that's, this is the man, like, ice flows through his veins. Like, that's this, not a normal yeah. human being. Um, <laughs> this guy, yeah. He's crazy. That's um, insane. <laughs> there's a reason they called him Wild Bill, right? Right. Like, that was his nickname. Uh, and so, uh, jumping forward a little bit, after the war, uh, Donovan collaborated with uh, Supreme Court Justice Robert Jackson, building cases against Nazi officials in the Nuremberg trials. Okay. Uh, although, they eventually had a falling out, because Jackson wanted to prosecute all of the Nazi high command, and uh -huh. Donovan felt that was unfair. <laughs> uh, which, which, okay, see, that to me seems like a compromise of belief from the man we just talked about a second ago. Yeah, exactly. But, it's like you know, he's he's a, a strange character, right? Where he's like, well, they didn't yeah. all commit war crimes. Some of them were just committing normal war. Yeah, uh, <laughs> which but, I also I think shines a light on what he thinks normal war is right exactly I mean, yeah. yeah it's um yeah it's very interesting so following wow. his you know his several unsuccessful attempts to preserve the oss uh he returned to private law practice and served as some chair of something called the american committee on united europe uh which served to prevent communist influence in western europe by uh arguing for a, a union of european states effectively which like you know would you say a, a european union I mean, perhaps. Who knows? Uh, who knows <laughs> what what exactly they were going for here? Uh, interestingly, his vice chair on this committee was one Alan Dulles, a character who we'll get to a little later. Um, so he lobbied Congress to allow for the creation of the CIA. And following a goodness, I forgot to write it down. They briefly created like an agency that was like not quite as good as the CIA. Yeah, and for CIG, a year it was really right? yeah. I think it was CIG. Um, I can't believe I forgot to write it down. Yeah, but basically, following the failure of that, he had a direct hand in building the CIA and yeah. suggested a lot of its staffers. 
seemed to, you know, heavily imply that, well, you know, there's, there's one guy who's fit for the job of running this, right? It's it's me. It's 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 William J. Donovan. Put me right. in charge. But he did not get that job. Um, mm. And like you said, Truman hated Donovan and thought of him as a little meddler because Donovan, while he was working as like ambassador in various countries or during his private law practice, would just sort of like float around the CIA headquarters and like try and give them advice and like connections. And Truman hated it. Uh, he like thought like this guy knows nothing. He's just over the hill, basically. Right. Um, He's the and... guy who comes back to high school the year after graduating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like hanging yeah. out with the teachers again. Exactly. Um, but uh, during the 1952 presidential election, and again, what I'm about to say, it's not something that will ever happen again. Uh, Donovan campaigned for his friend Eisenhower, hoping that he would be able to use that to curry favor and secure his leadership of the CIA afterwards. Um, but instead, Eisenhower appointed uh, our boy, Alan Dulles, whose brother, John Foster Dulles, was the new Secretary of State. Uh, and functionally, I mean, this is where I view it as the beginning of the end for Donovan, right? Like, younger, fresher faces have shouldered him yeah. out. You know, the the era of Dulles was beginning, and Donovan's star had effectively began to fade. Um, yeah. He worked as an ambassador to Thailand for a couple years, uh, and then in 1957, he was hospitalized for dementia. Uh, most interestingly, hallucinating the Red Army invading Manhattan during his time in the hospital, and fleeing it, wandering around the streets at night in his pajamas. Uh, which, huh? This is this is what I'm saying. Like the the mini arc that I wanted to talk about with Donovan. Yeah. Is this is this is what awaits you as an intelligence officer, right? <laughs> is to, like it's a life of you know, it's a paranoia you get shouldered out the moment you become you the yeah. moment that someone more useful shows up and you spend your last days like looking over your shoulder chasing threats that don't exist yeah um that and is after his death poignant. final note about donovan yeah uh, after his death the cia sent out a cable to all of its station chiefs saying quote the man more responsible for any other for than any other for the existence of the central intelligence agency has passed away um, which very CIA, right? Very yeah. blunt, very to the point, but uh, back to tweeting. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, interesting that yeah, I did not know that about his death. I did not look that far down his chain. Yeah. That, uh, that is poignant. That was, yeah. So that was my little, my little arc of Donovan. Yeah. Now, can I guess the third William? Uh, I don't yeah, know if please, I'm right, but cause a lot of Williams come up, but yeah, was it possibly William Colby? It was not actually. I thought about talking to him. Do you want to do a quick little side, uh, like you know, the yeah. secret fourth William? Yeah, the secret fourth. He's like the fourth Beatle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, the Ringo the of the Williams here. Uh. <laughs> um, so William Colby, this is interesting. Uh, this is all I have on him. But he served in the OSS briefly. Afterwards, he practiced law in New York. Do you want to guess whose firm he practiced law in? Hang on. This is another thing that I believe I remember. No, because all all my notes on Colby are more well, like his Nixon stuff. Our Who other New York with? lawyer, Donovan. Oh, really? He worked at his firm. Interesting. Which, this is a kind of a point I'm going to be coming back to over and over again. Where all these, it's kind of an incestuous. I mean, it's politics. It's all it's yeah. the people you know, right? But um, so but he's most notable, William Colby, for being a CIA operative. Mm -hmm. Afterwards, then being the deputy chief of station in Saigon for the CIA. 
in Vietnam uh, and later becoming the director of the CIA during the Nixon administration. Yeah. Which Uh, do you have anything on? I mean, I really was just going to sort of say that, like, you know, he was director of central intelligence under Nixon. um, And, you know, it's not like any notable intelligence ops happened during the Nixon administration. I can't think of one. Yeah. Not one. No, No, Um, not even one. But Colby is another character I think we'll get to. He's probably going to have his own episode at some point in the future. Yeah. Um, All three of the three Williams might. They might get their own episode. Plus this. Plus the Ringo. But yeah, what's your your last note on him? (laughs) The last note is that his death is um, subject of conspiracy. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, And I won't go into it too deep. But essentially, in 1996, so let's see, how old was he in 96? He was... Hang on, can I guess? I think I remember which death this one is. Is he the one who, like, went out with his yacht in the middle of the night without putting his slippers on, or... No, it was a canoe. Yeah, canoe, yeah, yeah. I remember, like, yeah. very out, weird. Yeah, give give him he, the broad strokes. He went out with a canoe on April 27th, 1996, solo canoe trip in Rock Point, Maryland. Uh, and then his canoe was found the next day on a sandbar. Uh, and his body was found on a riverbank uh, in, on May 6th, not too far from where his canoe was found. So notice the time discrepancy. It wasn't too mm-hmm. far from where the canoe was found, but it was... Uh, almost a week later, around a week <laughs> later, um, death ruled accidental. Uh, he was apparently predisposed to heart attack or stroke, but likely so likely that caused him to drown uh, into in water or have hypothermia. So I thought that was interesting. Is like they they gave us four different causes of death. Even yeah, though it was an accident. You know, just to see what it was. It's one of them, I'm sure, will fit. You know, just sort of throwing yeah. several things at the wall. Well, and one of his son, Carl, said that suggested that his father suffered from guilt due to his actions in the CIA and committed suicide. But the rest of his family said, no, that's inconsistent with his character. So yeah. I'm like, I don't see, A, how that could be a suicide <laughs> from the information I'm getting. But I'm also, like, not quite seeing how it was an accident. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure something happened, but... None of these facts to me seem to add up. Yeah, so I was going to say, I, I think why. his son Carl was close to it. I think it's that the CIA suffered guilt over his actions at the CIA and <laughs> he committed suicide. Right, uh, right. If you catch my drift. Uh, ah. Yeah, I've I've looked into Colby's death a little bit, but I honestly haven't done much. Aside from going like, that's a little weird. Uh, yeah. You know, as evidenced by the thought that I, the fact that I thought it was a yacht and not a canoe. Yeah. But, you but, know, and just I'm like being 76 and going on a canoe trip alone i mean in the middle that... of the night while making dinner yeah it's a strange time to decide <laughs> you need to take a canoe trip um yeah it is but okay good to know yeah. another another i think uh arc we can talk about about yeah the CIA. That's so another uh, fun ending <laughs> yeah exactly yeah i was gonna say it's you die mysteriously and people speculate forever whether it was a suicide a murder or an accident um <laughs> But uh, yeah, so the the actual third William that I wanted to talk about, another director of central intelligence, actually, uh, one William J. Casey. Uh, Uh, So I actually he's of the three Williams. He's the one who I have the least on because he was pretty young during his stint at the OSS. Yeah. Um, But he headed the secret intelligence branch of the OSS in Europe, which is no small task. That's that's a pretty big job. Yeah. Uh, And he and Donovan you know, at towards the end of the war, also shared several conversations about the fate of the OSS as the war drew to a close. 
and he was part of Donovan's unsuccessful efforts to preserve the agency. Uh, and then the real reason that I wanted to talk about him much later in life, he served as Ronald Reagan's campaign advisor, helping negotiate his alliance with George H.W. Bush, another uh -huh. noteworthy CIA guy there. And he was now which appointed. George Bush was this? Uh, this is H.W. Yeah, this <laughs> no, is... no, 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 not which George. Oh, yeah. oh, oh is it, uh... yeah, yeah, <laughs> the one who CIA worked in the mailroom. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, and he was appointed Director of Central Intelligence following Reagan's victory, which you know that's the sort of thing you do to your campaign advisor normally. Uh, yeah. Huh. But yeah, that's all I really had to huh. say on William J. Casey. Uh, just okay. sort of again another another familiar face who will I'm sure will run into again later. Yeah. Uh, and okay. then the last person that I wanted to profile before we dive into um, some of their notable actions and operations. I'm just looking at our time here. This is going to run a little long. I. Uh, it's fine. I think we. I to say I hope you at home are enjoying this ride as much as we are because <laughs> we have so much material here. We could um, always split into two, too. Yeah, we could. Yeah, we'll see if we long. we run long enough. Maybe we'll yeah. Uh, yeah we'll cover our last boy and then talk about like actions, operations. Yeah, maybe we'll do that. Okay. Um, anyway, the last guy I want to talk about uh, is our our returning champion, Alan Dulles. Oh, uh, heavyweight. Uh, yeah, he was recruited by Donovan personally in 1941 yeah. and operated out of Switzerland for the duration of the war. Uh, you know, yeah, collecting intelligence coordinating missions most notably uh, operation crossbow which attempted to yep. limit german launches of v1 and v2 rockets with uh dubious success but you know he, he was trying <laughs> that's the word uh, dubious success i think is a good way to define everything this guy did yeah i was gonna say yeah it was either a dubious success or it was a success uh but it was Dubiously. dubious <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um i this is a strange it doesn't really relate to what we're talking to but this is a strange anecdote i found on alan dulles oh please give me him. strange I anecdotes think you'll like guy. it um this is while he was working in Bern, switzerland uh doing intelligence uh 1917 it says uh Dulles kept a tennis date with a young lady one Sunday morning instead of meeting with an obscure Russian revolutionary oh, named <laughs> Lenin. Ever afterward, he insisted that anyone who knocked on a case officer's door deserved at least a hearing. And I thought that was, I don't, that doesn't connect to anything we're talking about, but I read that and I was like, okay. Yeah, weird. so Dulles uh, was kind of, uh, like a bit of a playboy before World War II because uh, he and John Foster Dulles worked for um, I'm forgetting the name of the company but they actually made lots of deals with prominent German industrialists things like that and I'm sure that all those deals fell through yeah, once no, the war started and weren't picked up after it ended well, um, he met Hitler before the war yeah uh, but yeah, and so, but Dulles, th that story, I've heard that story before. Th that really made an impression on him. That realization like, oh, I need to know everything. Uh, it's yeah. sort of like what I take away from that story, right? Like, yeah, I need he, to be kind of omniscient. Essentially. Yeah, I need to have my finger in every pie I possibly can at all times. Yeah. Just which, in case. Yeah, which I think when we look at his later career, kind of. <laughs> gives us an understanding explains of, a little bit yeah 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 um can i talk about his uh a couple of his pre-war pre-world war ii yes i guess absolutely, please. okay so i'm just gonna go through some bullet points of just stuff that's interesting um 
1921, while at the U.S. Embassy in Istanbul, he helped expose the Protocols of the Elders of Zion as a forgery. Yeah, I saw that. That was... And unsuccessfully attempted to persuade the State Department to publicly denounce the forgery. Which... Hmm... Yeah, it's the sort of thing where it's like, I don't really know what to take away from that, but it's I interesting, don't. right? It like, is interesting. Um, he also served uh, as the legal advisor to the Delegation on Arms Limitation of the League of Nations, uh, which is where he met Adolf Hitler, Benito Mussolini, Mussolini Soviet Foreign Minister Maxim Litvinov, uh, and many more. And I think after his meeting with Hitler... Uh, this is very interesting. He wrote to his brother, uh, Foster, uh, reassuring him that the conditions under Hitler's regime are not quite as bad as an alarmist friend had indicated. Uh, Dulles rarely spoke about his meeting with Hitler, and future CIA director Rob Richard Helms hadn't even heard of this encounter until decades after Dulles' death, expressing shock that his former boss had never told him about it. Um, also, after a meeting with Nazi propaganda minister Joyce Joseph Goebbels, uh, Dulles stated that he was impressed with him, citing his <laughs> sincerity and frankness during their interaction. Cool. So, not a cool, great cool. judge of character, this Dulles. <laughs> <laughs> you mean to tell me that the man who oversaw MKUltra sometimes made deals with unsavory people? Yeah. I. Uh, oh, yeah. Spoiler alert. Oopsie. Um, yeah. That didn't come up in my information because I didn't look much past the OSS and the forming of the CIA. Yeah. So, so yeah, I. I tried, you know, we're trying, you know, we, we wander out either direction a little bit here, guys, but you can yes. see we're trying to keep it strictly focused on their time in the OSS and then just sort of briefly touching on stuff that they did. But yeah. yeah, I had just a couple other notes about the OSS. Uh, I know you also had notes about this one. In 1945, he was involved with Operation Sunrise, uh, which worked to ensure that American forces, uh, rather than the local and uh, largely communist Italian resistance <laughs> fighters controlled the region and the terms of the surrender. Right. Uh, and so in doing so, he arranged to protect the General Carl Wolf of the Waffen SS from prosecution for his numerous war crimes. He committed yes. a lot of war crimes. The Italian front, like the resistance there, is not something that's talked about very often, but it was brutal. And, you know, it's possibly why things like, say, Operation Gladio happened there is there was a very strong communist presence because of the amount of fascistic violence against these people. Right. And so the the fascists doing the violence were understandably a little nervous about what might happen to them once the war ended. And, right. uh, you know, Dulles, to make a clean surrender, uh, cut a deal with them, which yes. notably goes against the, I believe it was the Casablanca Agreement, which stated that all surrenders by, uh, like all surrenders that the Axis forces did must be unconditional. Right. You were not allowed to cut deals. You couldn't do like yes. the, uh, you know, the thing that Hans Landa thinks he's getting at the end of Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. That's that's what Alan Dulles did, and you can't do that. Uh, right. He did it and, anyway. Well, and it would also anger and provoke Soviet suspicion mm -hmm. that the Americans were seeking to sign a separate peace with the Germans, um, which Wikipedia <laughs> described as a early episode of the emerging cold war. It was um, also true. That is what we were oh, doing. That's like... <laughs> well, can I go ahead? And this is my, these are my two favorite quotes of my research that I'd done. 
um, and yeah. I wanted to contrast how the CIA historians <laughs> describe this incident uh, versus an outside opinion. So these are two kind of long quotes, but I want to read them both and then we can kind of come to our own opinions. All right. Yeah. So this is from the CIA <clears throat> quote. As defeat loomed for the Third Reich in the spring of 1945, Alan Dulles and SI, uh, Special Intelligence, I believe uh, so. made one of the OSS's greatest contributions <laughs> to the war effort. Dear God. <laughs> German generals and officials, as high ranking as SS Chief Heinrich Himmler, began floating secret peace proposals to the British and the Americans. While some of these offers were genuine, the Allied, quote, unconditional surrender policy and fear of provoking the suspicions of Joseph Stalin constrained American diplomats and <laughs> intelligence officers who might otherwise have been able to encourage these peace feelers. One important exception was made. Despite the unconditional surrender policy, higher authority in Washington allowed Alan Dulles to meet with SS General Karl Wolf, who had secretly offered to broker a surrender of German forces in Italy. The result of these meetings was Operation Sunrise, a dangerous and devilishly complicated series of contacts over the oh, next several weeks. Oh, it was devilish, all right. Absolutely. <laughs> Dulles had managed had to manage the contacts and negotiations uh, from Bern, Switzerland. Time after time, the scheme came right to the edge of breakdown or disaster. But in the end, Sunrise succeeded, bringing about an early end to the Italian campaign in late April 1945, and saving hundreds, if not thousands, of lives. End quote. So that's the CIA. We'll comment on that in a second. The, uh, let's let's next take a look quote, at your other narrative. This is from John Kenneth Galbraith, who wrote that Dole showed himself to be, quote, a master of disastrous ineptitude. In those months, he sent Gary Powers over the Paris summit, uh, helped overthrow the neutralist government of Suvana Pauma in Laos, which later had to be restored, and was the man in charge of the organization that was responsible for perhaps the greatest foul-up in our history, the Bay of Pigs. Mm -hmm. These were not the achievements of a shrewd or even a halfway intelligent administrator, <laughs> nor was shrewdness the quality remarked upon by those of us without organizational loyalty who knew him in those years. While such judgment should be offered and received with caution by some, certainly, he was thought amiable, agreeable, but mentally very, very dim. <laughs> Perhaps, the, in the most charitable view, he had passed his best by the time of his great fiascos. But beyond doubt that he had not only passed his best, but that his best had never been. Never, not even in the Bay of Pigs, was his capacity for detached misjudgment more disastrous than in his management of Operation Sunrise, as the wolf negotiations were called. He wanted to go out with a bang. Those who have thought he was foreseeing the cold war and those who thought he was helping to cause it were both wrong he was just being alan dulles <laughs> which is a scathing but pretty awesome quote that's from. brutal so i i mean i will say i think i think he's selling dulles short here a little bit i think so um, too a little bit that, but yeah like you look at things like operation paperclip later on and i think yeah he's laying a groundwork here but master of master of complete disaster or something a disastrous ineptitude. disastrous ineptitude Which I, I detached think, misjudgment was also really yeah it's a good quote it is a good but. quote and i agree with a lot of it and i i can understand because this guy was also into intelligence somewhere yeah. else but uh i can understand his disdain for this guy but i do think there is when you look at what alan dulles is doing in a lot of situations he does sort of seem to be bumbling and fumbling his way yeah. through certain things yeah yeah i was gonna say and like yeah to be clear i 
I never want to make these people seem as though they're like gods amongst men. I mean, I will sometimes yeah. say things like, you know, ice flows through his veins. He's not a normal human. <laughs> but to be like clear. Like Thor of old. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. William J. Donovan, son of Odin. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but, you know, to be clear, they are just people. And their mistakes yeah. are just bigger than mine, right? Like when I screw up at work, like I shortchange a customer. When right. They screw up at work. The Bay of Pigs goes Nuclear wrong. Nuclear war almost happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which, you know. But, you know, I also think there was definitely, I think, a little more intentionality to his operations that yeah. he's giving him credit for. Yeah. And uh, maybe that's due to the people around him or maybe he's a little bit more uh, or in some cases a little bit more competent than he's being mm-hmm. given credit for. But yeah, I do think that's a good like encapsulation of him, if mean encapsulation yeah. of him as, you know, just a little bit of an inept administrator. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And I would, uh, I just have two other things that I'd like to say about Alan Billis uh, real quick, and then we will move on to uh, maybe a, a part two, or we'll just, uh, we'll talk about the operations of the OSS. Now we've talked about yeah. some of the, uh, the guys. Uh, which is to say, later on, Alan Dulles, as we've heard in this this brilliant quote, uh, headed the Central Intelligence Agency mm-hmm. and oversaw such things as the 1953 coup of Iran, the 1954 coup of Guatemala, uh, Project MK Ultra, and of course the Bay of Pigs invasion, <laughs> uh, the failure of which caused his firing by John F. Kennedy. And my final note, an unrelated note. Following President J- John F. Kennedy's assassination, uh, Alan Dulles served on the Warren Commission to investigate who did it. Um, and he said, "No guys, relation between those two things." Um, who could have? Done- That's. I'm just thinking of the meme from. Yeah, the, I think you should leave the hot dog <laughs> the guy in the guy. hot dog suit. Yeah, who we're all looking done- for the guy who did this. We're, we're uh, all looking. <laughs> um, and yeah, that is it's the energy of the Warren Commission, but all of yeah. that is a story for another time. It is. Uh, That's yeah. interesting. some of the operations um yeah for sure i i don't know if the operations are gonna be enough for a yeah we might actually this might just be a full episode because i honestly i did spend more time on the four guys than on the actual operations yeah same i was more interested in the characters but i i think there's some interesting stuff yeah maybe you guys are just getting a long episode today that's fine lucky you (laughs) um so i wanted to talk about the morale operations branch uh um which was like i guess you can kind of surmise by the name was targeting morale of the enemy right mm-hmm. um but about and this is again i'm gonna these all these sources i'm about to read to you are from the cia directly so take that grain of will. salt if you will grain of salt uh supplemented by wikipedia but uh <laughs> th- i thought even still it's very some of these things i'm going to read are very interesting but william j donovan who's we're jumping back in time, who's in charge of the OSS, uh, admired the perceived effectiveness of Nazi propaganda and saw the United States lack of similar op- 
corporations as regions, hmm. um, which is why he created the Morale Operations Branch, um, which used many different uh, tactics uh, in both informational and kind of physical sides to sap morale, induce confusion, and sow distrust within the populations of Axis country and within the ranks of their armed forces. That doesn't sound familiar to me. That's pretty... Yeah, you know, I've pretty foreign, a pretty novel concept. Uh, yeah, um, but this is something that's interesting. In a speech delivered by Colonel Donovan, then Colonel Donovan, um, he cited the importance of psychology, uh, in addition with physical action during warfare. Uh, quote: "The element of surprise in military operations, which is psycho, which is psychological warfare translated into field tactics, is achieved by artifice and stratagem." by secrecy and rapidity of information, by mystifying and misleading the enemy. When you strike at the moral of the morale of the people or army, you strike at the deciding factor because it is the strength of their will that t determines the length of wars, the measure of resistance, and the day of final collapse, end quote. So. No uncertain terms there. Uh, <laughs> nope. Again, the man with ice in his veins. <laughs> yeah, we, we know how he feels about this. Um, I also found this kind of funny. Uh, in the same speech, apparently he somewhat incorrectly cited Mein Kampf, <laughs> which, which I just, I, that was something Wikipedia said, and I think it, it's, just, it's a funny thing. Um, <laughs> but uh, in a document outlining the purpose that the OSS would serve to President Roosevelt while he was still kind of trying to uh bring him to his uh, his side he wrote yeah. this <clears throat> quote espionage is not a nice thing nor are the methods employed exemplary neither are demolition bombs nor poison gas but our country is a nice thing and our independence is indispensable we face an enemy who believes one of his chief weapons is that none but he will employ terror but we will turn terror against him or we will cease to exist, end quote. Lots unpacked there. Uh, the, um, yeah. Wow. Again. The, the CIA should like, that should be like branded into the arm of every CIA agent. Like that <laughs> is like their ethos. We'll turn terror against the them or we'll cease to exist. It yeah. reminds me, this reminds me of a, um, a, a Muse song, actually, embarrassingly <laughs> enough. Because in high school, I was really into them, right? But they, they had a whole were. album called like Drones, all about yeah. drone warfare. And they had a song on there called like JFK, which is just a sample of a JFK quote where he's like talking about the Soviet Union. He's like, you know, we're opposed by a force that relies not on armies by day, but guerrillas by night. And every time he says something like that, you know, it was like a little like a like a little guitar point. Like yeah. the point being like, oh no, we're like the Soviets now, no! Oh but, my um, god! Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, you know, obviously sort of trite observation, but like sure. listening to that, I, that was, I was like, wow, this, that feels exactly the way I felt when I was first listening to it, going like, wow, maybe yeah. America does do bad things sometimes. Yeah, maybe like, we're the baddies. Oh no. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's interesting. Well, and again, like I, I think it's very important to understand the mindset under which the OSS and the CIA were um, founded, which is a wartime mindset of suspicion mm -hmm. and of by any means necessary. And it's like, yeah, if you build that into a bureaucratic system, that's going to hold over. Mm, yep. <laughs> and maybe some not so great things are going to happen 
or maybe thing would be everything would be perfectly fine. We can trust the CIA, who's never and, done anything wrong. Yeah, that of course is what happened. Uh, fortunately, because <laughs> uh, could you imagine um, if it didn't? <laughs> oh, jeez. But uh, uh, I'm just gonna <laughs> bullet point some of the uh, morale uh, operations uh, campaigns yeah, sure and just kind of explain them. So big ones: propaganda leaflets, which they would circulate mm -hmm. in ter uh, enemy territory. Um, poison pen letters, which were supposed anonymous letters sent to the Gestapo office officers that okay. implicated various German soldiers and officials in pro-allied behavior. So basically just fake snitching on your enemies. Which that, is... That would... Okay, look, I'm not that I'm would, not going to say I feel bad for a Nazi, but that would really suck. Like, you that know, would you're a, suck. You're a true blue Nazi. You're a huge anti-Semite. You hate the West and everything it stands for. <laughs> and then one day Himmler rolls into your office like, hey, what's with this letter that you wrote? Yeah. Uh, telling us and that you you want to defect to France. And then he shoots you with the little Han Solo pistol. <laughs> I forget <laughs> yeah. what those are called. Um, um, another I'm thing was too. death notices, uh, wherein the yeah. MO sent letters to the families of German soldiers <laughs> indicating that the recently deceased was a victim of a mercy killing at the hands of a German doctor, and that Nazi party officials had stolen valuable possessions while he lay on his death. Which, which is so immoral. <laughs> that that is, is like That's you're, insane. You're you're that's like that is so psychotic. I could not even like I had to read that like five <laughs> times to like wrap my mind around it. See, I read that they did death notices and I just assumed that, that meant they were falsely saying that people had died. I had yeah no idea that that's what they were doing that is that's horrible that's and psychotic. obviously you can tell what the you know it's to turn civilians against the government yeah. which yeah. uh radio broadcasts were often used uh radio propaganda broadcasts and uh, you'll appreciate this uh the one the joker campaign <laughs> oh okay i'm listening i thought you'd like that which is where mo an mo agent pretended to be german general ludwig beck blaming german losses on nazi incompetence and urging the German people to overthrow Hitler via radio broadcast. Interesting. Yeah. And then finally, uh, carefully formulated rumors designed to cause confusion, sow distrust, <laughs> and ultimately incite revolt or assassination attempts in Axis-occupied territory. That doesn't sound familiar at all. Yeah, oh. no, that, is, that doesn't yeah. sound familiar at all. Although the assassination attempt thing does remind me, I forgot to mention this while we were talking about Alan Dulles. Yeah. Uh, but he was... It is, it's weird. Sources are conflicted on this, but it's believed that he was tied up in a plot to kill Hitler prior to World War II. He, I, um, uh, or was oh. this the one prior to World War II or is this the one during? Because there were also I a couple he, plots prior. Um, he was involved with the ones... He was involved with at least maybe, one during. Yeah, maybe I'm thinking of the one during. Maybe I'm thinking of someone else who plotted to kill him beforehand. But Interesting. Uh, yeah. And I just you know wanted to make note of that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but... You know, none of them could do what Hitler did, which is to say, kill Hitler. Kill himself. Uh, yeah. But, you know, sometimes it takes one to get one, as they say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> How true. How true. <laughs> or it takes one to flee to Argentina. Mm, yeah, <laughs> Live out the Who rest knows? of his days peacefully with Elvis. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Do you have so anything that's all I more have on, on there? Them. Okay. Yeah, no. I'll just I'll just touch on a couple other like things that when I just like I read several like summaries of like their various actions and operations and I just sort of like put some things that caught my eye. Um so first of all, obviously this is the thing that everybody talks about because it's the stuff that's genuinely cool. 
which is right. they produce numerous like the James Bond spy gadgets, right? Like they right. had Iwan's pistols, they had yep. grenades that exploded upon impact after being thrown, which sounds like kind of trite yeah. now, but that's pretty cool when you like actually yeah. think about it. Right. Um, that is cool. <laughs> yeah, they had uh bombs disguised as lumps of coal, which Whoa. That feels like cheating, right? Like, yeah. you just wait for a guy to pick it up and throw it into a train just, and then it explodes. Like, it just kind of so horse, horsemanship, but. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's, one way I'd describe the OSS, it's poor sportsmanship. <laughs> uh, tasteless poison pills, which could be, you know, slipped into a sandwich or something like that. Jeez. Oh, and geez. cigarettes laced with a primitive chemical that was designed to, like, make the target more talkative, like a primitive truth serum, basically. Um, huh. Which did it work? I couldn't find any results on that, which yeah. tells me yes. Yes. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> brought to you yeah. by the wonderful minds that brought you MK Ultra. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. They're hmm. uh, one of their a couple just a couple other notes that caught my attention. Uh, their training area B, which is one of their domestic training areas, uh, which is focused on like the most classically cloak and dagger ops. Like that's where they train right. like their straight up assassins uh, is now camp david the retreat area for the president and his family um i didn't really have anything to say about that just no. kind of it's a message right that's a good message it... personally i think uh <laughs> just like oh, that's a way to you've got the you've got the cloak and then there's just a dagger forever hovering above them you know yep. spiritually speaking in the history of the land um mm. they also uh trained and armed groups hostile to the people that we were at war with now right. this in particular is something that huh. never happened again no uh, two never people again. in particular who i want to focus on were uh okay. mao and the red army in china were trained okay. and armed by us and the Viet Minh forces in french indochina uh and huh. one oss officer in particular archimedes patty was his name uh frequently met and spoke with one ho chi Minh. Uh, huh. who later on had some relevance. Uh, also, yeah, I know. Yeah. Side note about this Archimedes guy: he, in 1981, was interviewed about the Vietnam War. And this is just a little quote I wanted to read. Uh, okay. In my opinion, the Vietnam War was a great waste. There was no need for it to happen in the first place at all, none whatsoever. During all the years of the Vietnam War, no one ever approached me to find out what happened in 1945 or in 44. In all the years I spent at the Pentagon, Department of State, and in the White House, never was I approached by anyone in authority. However, I did prepare a large number, and I had been, I mean about, oh, well, over 15 position papers on our position in Vietnam, but I never knew what happened to them. Those things just disappeared. They just went down the dry well. Um, which, hmm. ominous, especially that, like, yeah. no one ever approached me to find out what happened. Like, what, what were you up to? What? What happened? Uh, <laughs> uh, also, just Italian excellence. Uh, he was an American, uh, Italian American. So you know, just had to <laughs> had to show that. Archimedes. Out. That sounds like a Greek name. I know it's very you know these That's Mediterranean name, peoples. But, um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, and he left the region in '45 after French allegations that the Americans were attempting to foment a revolution, uh, which I guess we were considering what Ho Chi Minh and his buddies later <laughs> got up to. Um, <laughs> But again, the same as same as like this is obviously these are more extreme examples than right. William Stevenson founding the OSS functionally. But the same thing, right? Like we 
in order to make sure there's someone friendly to our interests, we gas someone up, we set them up, <laughs> and then we just send them off. And then yeah. sometimes they do their own thing. And that thing isn't always what we anticipated, whether that be, yeah. you know, the Red Army in China or whether that be, you know, a certain freedom fighter in Afghanistan in the 80s. Uh, hmm. You know, the the brave Mujahideen fighters Listen. of Afghanistan. <laughs> As Rambo <laughs> As Rambo 3 famously dedicated its movie to. Interesting. Uh, well, here's the thing, Matt. So, and you, you don't have kids, so you don't understand this. But sometimes <laughs> you have children. You know, and sometimes they make you proud. Sometimes they make mistakes. And sometimes <laughs> they fly a 747 yeah. airliner. Sometimes they do 9-11. <laughs> sometimes they do a 9-11. And you and just have to live with that as a parent. <laughs> Where did I go wrong? Um, so, <laughs> finally, Where did I go wrong? Destabilizing your country. <laughs> destabilizing your country and training and arming you. Uh, but... Uh, Finally, you know, if you don't have anything more to say about their operations, I have one little operation that I want to talk about. Speaking Let's of 9-11, uh, which is to say this is some I could not find anything on this outside of the Wikipedia page. I searched the OSS Society. I searched the CIA website. I searched the National Archives. I couldn't find anything hmm. on this, but they apparently at one point had a plot to spread anthrax throughout Spain using weaponized oh, insects. I saw that. And now, so I was so curious about this that I tried to find the book that the Wikipedia article cited. And I huh. couldn't, like it was like $200 to get it on Amazon, what I was looking at. And I couldn't find a PDF anywhere. But I just think, you know, same as like all these other things that the OSS is doing, these yeah. like weird echoes, doing uh, civilian anthrax attacks possibly you know in the build-up to uh a war you know just a weird mm. echo to the you know the anthrax that was mailed to several journalists and high-ranking u.s officials immediately following the september 11th attacks and was traced directly back to a government lab that's a little a little weird huh. right just yeah i don't know i read that and i don't know it's just like my my eye opened right you know that eye emoji that you're talking about <laughs> i say like yeah that's it was just a weird echo, right? Like that it, is a, yeah. I th um, often think of the George uh, Lucas quote when he was talking about the cultural <laughs> of Star Wars, where he says, "It's like poetry at yeah. times," <laughs> and that's how I feel researching a lot of these like early progenitors, the later, you know. Yeah, yeah. It really is. It's like watching. It is like watching a prequel, right? We're like, oh hey, yeah. it's there's that character yeah. I like, but he's a little yeah. younger. He hasn't he's quite figured younger. it out yet. Yeah. The writing's um, not as good. It's a little more boring, a little more yeah. bureaucratic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and then finally, before we close, I've just got yeah. just a little bit of little dessert for everybody. Yeah, I have a list of celebrities <laughs> who were uh, who were linked to the OSS, who like worked for them right. in some capacity. Uh, okay. And some of these are pretty famous. Others drove me insane. Um, oh, so no. first we have Moberg. This is one of the most famous ones. He was a baseball player, a uh, really, really smart guy. Um, yeah. Like uh, polymath, pretty famously spoke a bunch of languages, and he used that to his advantage. Uh, really smart guy, and hmm. apparently also a pretty good baseball player. Yeah. Um, also, uh, one Douglas Fairbanks Jr., and I don't really have much to say about him, uh, other than the fact that he was an actor, and he is a... 
uh, he's quite a handsome man. I looked him up and I was like, oh, wow. Hello, sir. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, you know, if you want to entrap me into the, the CIA, it's too late because Douglas Fairbanks Jr. isn't around to All seduce right. me anymore. All it takes is a man with a pencil-thin mustache, huh? <laughs> well, now, don't get any ideas. Um, <laughs> but uh, also, this one I didn't know about. But my mom did. I mentioned this in passing to my mom. And she was like, oh, yeah, I knew about this. Uh, which is to say, Julia Child, the, you know, like the celebrity chef. I'm sorry. What? She got her start working at the OSS, reporting directly to Donovan. Uh, I think it was in Laos. I don't remember where she was stationed. Um, and then she worked with the CIA for a while, too, as well. And reportedly honed her love of cooking during her assignments for the OSS. Oh boy, you just made me spiral, dude. Right? <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Like, Yeah, she was in Sri Lanka. Yeah. Um, so I was in the general region. My mom um, loves Julie Childs and she watches like her cooking on rerun or whatever. Though yeah. so I cannot wait to just, just absolutely like... <laughs> drop that on her. Yeah, uh, and uh, the thing I'd oh. like to note about all of these celebrities, including the ones I'm about to talk about. So remember, as soon as the war was over, the OSS stopped contacting them and they never had any dealings with U.S. intelligence again. Um, and there's no reason that the CIA would say benefit from having people like this uh, <laughs> in their pocket. Um, uh, also, uh, on a related note, uh, the psychologist Carl Jung, um, huh. who helped them with psychological studies, is all that I could find on that. Oh. Um, no. I believe there were also like documents saying that like you know, no one there was I don't remember who it was who said this because I didn't find this in my research. This is just something I'm possibly incorrectly remembering. But like a quote where someone was like, "No one will ever understand the true depth of the help that Young has done us in our research," which ominous. Um, huh. And also uh, the authors John Steinbeck, uh, author of like Grapes of Wrath yep. and of Mice and Men, uh, and wow. most interestingly. Ernest Hemingway. Now, yeah, we know he was in. Yeah, we know he was in World War II. If you yeah. ever read any of his books, right? yeah, I was gonna say I couldn't <laughs> shut up about it. Uh, but yeah, so Hemingway is an interesting figure, right? I his writing has been very important to me. You know, like every depressed twenty-something, <laughs> right? Like I love Hemingway. I yeah, uh, I've never read Hemingway. I tried to read. Uh, of farewell to arms mm -hmm. but i only tried to read that because there was a streetlight manifesto song called the <laughs> call to arms which was slightly based <laughs> off that um which is probably the lamest way to try and get into hemingway but i remember trying to read it and i was like 19 <laughs> and he's like manipulating a woman or something and i was like this yeah. is weird and i put it down that's yeah, my hemingway story fair enough <laughs> honestly fair enough but um <laughs> But yeah, so Hemingway's interesting because he spent a lot of time in Cuba later on in his life. Right. So when I learned that he was contacted by the predecessor to the OSS, oh boy. alarm bells went off in my head. And yeah. so I started doing a little more research. Well, now, Matt, what was in Cuba that was <laughs> yeah, so important? Yeah. And now I found something possibly even crazier than the idea that he was an OSS asset, which is oh, that no. prior to working for the OSS, he was recruited by the NKVD, which was the Soviet predecessor to the KGB during his time in the Spanish Civil War because he hated fascism uh, much more than he felt aligned with any other cause. He hated fascism, which right. fair enough. 
I sure. do too. I hate fascism. I'm very much opposed to I it. I love uh, it. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he worked with the NKVD for a little bit before he was recruited by the OSS and later on seems to have regretted it, especially, you know, once the, uh, the Red Scare started heating up and being a communist spy is, wasn't particularly good. It wasn't a good time no. to be a communist spy. Uh, no. So he sort of, he rebuffed their advances. It's like advances being a comedian that. in 2022. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is to say, you're a truth teller, wrongfully persecuted <laughs> by the crowds. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that was very interesting. And also, um, lest any of you worry that Hemingway tried to be- betray his friends, uh, Fidel Castro and Che Guevara, uh, he seems to have uh, left Cuba right around the time that they really heated up their okay. anti-American rhetoric. He was with okay. them during the revolution and actually like wrote several letters like celebrating their victory over the Batista regime because again, he hated fascists. Anti-fascists. Um, but that was just okay. an interesting note. He pretty much, once they started, once they really started drawing the ire of the Americans, uh, he moved to Idaho instead. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and committed suicide. And committed suicide, which hmm. who, who knows uh, if this is related. But he... Um, I doubt it has nothing to do with that. <laughs> um, so there were there were a couple other celebrities, like uh, the director John Ford, for instance, um, worked with them. And uh, another one, this one, was one of the lowest like levels of collaboration, but interesting on a personal note. I uh, was just say that Bing Crosby worked with uh, them, like recording songs in favor of like, you know, killing Nazis and stuff. Um, and that's only really interesting because uh, hmm. right above me, like the floor above me in my house, we have a framed photo of Bing Crosby because my great grandfather worked as a singer and was good friends with Bing Crosby. So we have a photo of him like playing guitar for Crosby while they sang to U.S. troops. Um, huh. So... Not like an important thing at all, really. Just sort of weird that I was like, oh, maybe my great grandfather was singing for the OSS. Who knows? I and you know, and I suddenly just wanted... I can't trust you. Anymore. Yeah, exactly. I was gonna say, I just <laughs> I wanted to put this card out there on the table right now. Yeah. You know, um, he was he was just Irish. I promise. Not I an forgot to mention. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to mention that I am in direct lineage of William J. Donovan. I figure I should probably put that out. Um, I, Oh, actually speaking of Donovan though, um, one Uh other thing I forgot to mention about him when I was listing off like the operations, uh, when I said that his Catholicism wouldn't come up, I was lying. It was a little little deception for you. Uh, He had a network of priests uh, connecting all the way to the Vatican uh, who oh, he used no. to sort of like funnel information around during World War II. Now, if there's anything you can think of that might connect assets of the CIA and Catholic priests, well, <laughs> I'm sure hmm. it didn't start here, is all I what have to say about that. What does the CIA and Catholic priests have in common? <laughs> it's the fact that they hmm. always do good Gr- things. They um, dress up very well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hmm. um, yeah, you know, they're out there putting out finders if you would um oh. but uh we'll, we'll that's we'll address that on a later that's episode. dark yeah that's dark um but i just oh. i read that and you know that was another thing you know eyebrows sort of raised um yeah the, that is like if i had to sum up this all of our research is there's not a lot concrete we can take away from it other than eyebrows raised yeah you know you, what i mean 
yeah, like we said, you're we're watching we're in the prelude. We're watching all of these like we're watching the foundations yeah. get laid for this yep. thing that like I said, it's that's why I wanted to focus on the OSS is we see yeah. so many of the the big characters, so many yep. of like the big strategies getting tested out, sort of like putting their feet in the water and things pick up steam pretty quickly after this once the cia gets running um hmm. but you know story for another time story for another time well uh do you think that's it do you think is there anything else you want to say i think Any that's grand it. takeaway uh yeah i think that's that's our big takeaway really is um you know it's all connected but i'm right. told that you have a uh, an outro that you want to yes. try out so sure but i'll first, let you take this one in oh yes let's we say follow us on instagram at historica esoterica yeah you can do um, yeah it's just the name of the podcast on instagram uh and then twitter some fun little art i did yeah twitter was rude to us and wouldn't let us do the full name so Hist esoteric yeah, so it's Twitter. like the start of history and then esoteric. esoteric. Um, yeah. uh, and you can follow me. I did make a Twitter. I you did. I, re- I made a Twitter. It's at Detective Roswell, only one L because it ran out of characters. <laughs> um, I've got 12 followers, and let's see if we can get it to 15 people. <laughs> I think we can. Man, we all me, band uh, together. <laughs> you can follow me at Matt K Ultra on Twitter, Matt underscore K underscore Ultra on Instagram, uh, and use any of these avenues to reach out. Uh, suggest topics. Let us know what you think. I, you know, we want yeah. we want some feedback. Let us know what you're thinking of the great. show so far. Yeah. Um, um. And with that, until next time, dear listeners, the devil is real and he's trying to get you. No. <laughs> <laughs> It's a great honor for me this evening to come out of the shadows after a very long career at CIA and uh, help celebrate uh, General Donovan. General Wild Bill Donovan was no summer soldier. He was no sunshine patriot. So as we raise our glasses, I would say, may General Donovan rest in peace, knowing that his direct lineal successors carry the banner of the nation's constitution, her democratic principles, and the cause of freedom.